congregation, the text for this first Passion Week Sunday, you can find in John 13, verse 10. John 13, verse 10. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. So far. The love of Christ in the day he washed the feet of the disciples. Again, the love of Christ the day that he washed the feet of his disciples. Three thoughts. In the first place, love to the end. As you can see in verse 1. In the end of verse 1, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Secondly, the love expressed in the verses 12 to 11 about the washing of the feet. And the third place, love and cursed in the explanation of the Lord Jesus in the verses 12 through 17. The love of Christ, the day that he washed the feet of the disciples, love to the end, love expressed, and love encouraged. Congregation chapter 13 in John is a new beginning. In chapter 12, it came to a closing chapter. You feel that. Let me show you. In the previous chapter, verse 48, He that receiveth me and receiveth my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him the last day. I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say, what I should speak, and I know that his commandment is life and love everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. And then there is a period. Because in the first 12 chapters, the Lord Jesus is speaking to the crowd. He is speaking in public. And in verse 13 through 17 of chapter 18, we see the Lord Jesus speaking in private with his disciples. So now chapter 13, there's a new beginning. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour has come, that he should depart out of this world, and to the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So in the previous chapters, the Lord Jesus spoke to the crowd in public, and now he speaks to the twelve only, his own. Now it is kind of difficult to place this. Now before the feast of the Passover, was that before, for the institution of the Lord's Supper, or was this the first day before his death, or was this in the house of Simon the Pharisee, or was, in, was this in Bethany? The pros and cons, there are pages and pages written about that, about what even was this? Was this the, the day before he died, or Weeks before that, we don't know. But what we know is that he spoke to his disciples. What we know is he spoke with love to them. He encouraged them and taught them. So that is not spent too much time on what exact day it was. That is not so important. That is more to talk about what he said and what he did and what he showed. So now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, he knew it. He knew exactly his hour because the Lord Jesus was in charge of it. And his death did not come 
accidentally, his death did not come from the other side. He has chosen to die. It was his time. It was his time to go back to the Father. He had come on the day of his incarnation with his body into this world. Now he's going to leave this life. He's going to leave this earth. So he was come, the hour was come that he should depart. His hour. Some people are always on time. Some people are always early in church. Some are always late. Not too many. The Lord Jesus, what he did was always exactly on time. He was never late. He was never slack. He was always on time. And this was his moment. Sometimes it looked like as if the Lord Jesus was not on time. Sometimes it looked like that. For example, in chapter 11, Lazarus was sick. And the messengers came that Lazarus was sick and the Lord Jesus had to come as quickly as possible. And he didn't come. And then, then Lazarus died. And Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. It's too late. Lord Jesus said, no. He has not died. He's sleeping. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. So sometimes it looks like Lord Jesus late. He never is. Also in your life. You pray for things. You concern about things. And yet the Lord is always doing things his way. And at his time. And we should be careful not to be critical of the Lord. And just let the Lord decide to do what's proper in his hour. And Jesus knew that his hour has come. He should depart out of this world with his human body to the Father, having loved his own. Having loved his own. But who is that? His own. The one that belonged to him. He loves them that belong to him. His, his own people. Who is his own people? Because I read in chapter 1, verse 11, that he has come to his own, and his own received him not. So what does that mean, his own? In chapter 1, verse 11, it means the people of the Jews, the Israelites. All the Israelites are his people, his own people. His chosen people. His covenant people. And he has come to his covenant people, to his own people, to his own, and they received him not. How painful. Also painful today. Painful if you belong to the covenant congregation and that yet you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. So you are his, but you aren't. He came to his own, his own received him not. But here, in chapter 13, having loved his own means them that he received from the Father. His own saved people. The people he paid for. The people that he has given life and resurrection, they are his people. He loved them in the past, he still loves them, and he will keep loving them. He, leaves, he loves them to the end of time. What a blessing to belong to that people, to belong to God's people, his people. We often say his people, God's people. There's something to belong to him in spite of your ignorance and your foolishness and your forgetfulness and your pride and you name it 
and that those disciples are still God's people, his own people, where they're in the world, he loved them, he loved them unto the end. His followers, his bride, his sheep, his friends, his peculiar people, his beloved ones. He was willing to die for them. He was willing to be made sin for them, to be a curse for them. He paid the price and prayed for them. They're his people, so close to his people. And if you touch his people, you touch the apple of his eye. So nothing could possibly separate God's people from the Lord. They're his people. And he loves them unto the end. He does not waver. That love is not conditional. They cannot lose that love. He keeps loving them. No matter what, he is disappointed. He may also take the, 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 the joy away of believing. Maybe darkness in their hearts, in their lives. Maybe doubts and questions. But he keeps loving them. He protects them. He keeps an eye on them. He's always tender towards them. He understands them. He does not forsake them. He cannot. That's a wonder. The more, because we read in Luke 22, what also happened at one of those tables, the Lord Jesus said, I, with his disciples. Let me read to you. Luke 22. And there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? But he shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. And he that is chief as he that does serve. So the Lord Jesus kept loving that people. He was fighting. Who was the greatest? They were not always in good terms with, 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 with each other. The disciples sometimes were quarreling. There was pride involved. But the Lord Jesus said, I keep loving you. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. See, the Lord does not forsake his people. He does not let his people go. He does not drop them. He is faithful to them. He has paid the price for them. What a blessing to belong to that people. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Judas is betraying him, verse 2, and sub being ended. The devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. See, they're going to find out. They're going to find out that one of the brothers is betraying the Savior. And they need to be, to be prepared for that. So that they are not too surprised about it. For the comfort, he assures them that all things are going to plan, and nothing happens by chance. So the Lord is preparing them, reminding them that he loves them with an eternal love, and that he will reign according to his great purpose, to his glory. He's going to die on the cross. So that love has no end. Brings you to the second part. Love expressed. Jesus knowing the Father had given all things into his hands and he was come from God and went to God. 
he riseth from supper. So he was sitting at the table, or lay at the table. He rises. I see, in, in, in the room, I see all the, the, all the bench there. And the Lord Jesus is rising. You know what that means? That means that it's probably not the Passover meal. Because at the Passover meal, the people stood. Here they are sitting, or they are on their couches. So that's why some say this is not the Passover meal. Anyway, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, and that he was come from God and to God, he was confident. Lord Jesus, confident, getting close to death. But he was not wavering, not hesitant at all. He arrived from supper. So all those disciples still on their chairs, on their recliners. And Jesus standing, and they are quiet, I suppose, and they look at him. What is he doing? And he laid aside his garments, plural, garments. So he took his overcoat off and more. Maybe also that special garment woven in one piece. And he took a towel and girded himself. So he is using a towel as an apron or something to also be able to dry the feet of his disciples. It was common courtesy of the host that he had the feet of his guests washed a few times during the meal to begin with and halfway and at the end, that, that, that was normal. And the host usually took care of that. Common courtesy. But now, nobody is doing it. Nobody is washing each other's feet. And all these sides are just laying there, sitting there. And Lord Jesus is standing up. He takes the initiative. He says, if you don't do it, I will do it. He has been waiting. He's been waiting a long time, and now he rises from supper. And he has, he's going to give them an example. But also he's going to give them a, a sermon. It's a sermon. He also pours water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet with his hands. Those gnarly feet of those fishermen. They probably didn't wash them too often. But he had to do that. And he did it with love. And he also uses it as an example. He pours the water, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with a towel and wind where he was girded. So he did not only wash them, he also dried them. He did a good job. He did all. He finished it also. As I said, this is a sermon. Not only teaching humility, it was symbolic. Christ came to stoop down. Christ came to wash and cleanse. Lord Jesus came to do that to unworthy ones. And he did that for his glory. So he took a towel and as an apron. He did not ask for any help. Nobody offered him help. But Jesus himself put water in that basin. And he went to the feet of his, his disciples. He took the sandals off. He put water over it. He washed it in his hands. He dried it. And he had done a few of his disciples already, and nobody said anything. Nobody stopped him. Nobody said, what are you doing? Nobody said, let me do it. And they just let the Lord Jesus do it. No comment so far. See, that is the blindness of his disciples. 
He is on his knees. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the mediator, the Messiah, is on his knees. And he washes them with love. What a precious picture. That is a sermon. Not only teaching humility, but symbolic. Christ came to save, to cleanse, to wash, to sanctify, to purify. It's a kind of a parable. It's a metaphor. Jesus could have said, you do not wash feet. I for sure will not do it. But yet, he washed their feet. Having said this, the big message, the most important thing here is that we need to be washed from our sins. That's the lesson here. We need to be washed and cleansed completely because we are dirty, polluted by our sins. Sins are a foul. Sins are a birth. It's a miracle how deep Christ was willing to bow. He explained with his action, his incarnation, his humiliation, and his suffering. So by him standing up, he says, I will do it. Nobody's doing it. I will do it. Nobody can do it. I am able to. And he provides everything. He's doing all the work, right? Not only part of it, he's doing all the work himself. For his glory. I was thinking of an example. And I don't think I have a good one. But let me try this one. Think of the late Queen Elizabeth. She was very formal. If you would, would like to talk, or you had to just make an appointment years ahead, and you had to be dressed a certain way, and you could not even approach her and shake hands with her. You had to wait until she was reaching out to you. And suppose that she would go to the homeless people, and that she would sleep outside at night, just to see what it is like, to be humble. That's so strange, she would never do that, would she? Well, you would say sleeping outside the homeless is worse than this. I know. But the difference between the Lord Jesus and his disciples is way bigger than the difference between average people and the queen. Because it is the Lord Jesus himself, the Son of God, so much higher ranked than the queen, infinitely higher. So he is really humbling himself. He rose from supper, and he was washing the feet. He came to Simon as well, after a while. Verse 6, Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? In Greek, there's a huge emphasis on thou. Thou wash my feet. That's so unreal. That is so strange. How can that be? How can the Lord Jesus, the Savior, wash my feet. He felt so unworthy of it. It was so strange that the Savior would do that to him. He could not believe it. Never, he said. Be the Savior, thou shalt never wash my feet. That is very clear, right? Not maybe and never. It's not going to happen. That's typically the Apostle Peter. He is also very vocal. Also in the past, and later on he will be, 
He slew the Eve from Malchus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He also was a Satanist when the Lord Jesus told him that he was going to suffer. He said it was not going to happen. And also here, he is opposing the Lord again and disobedient. My feet never. Very stark contrast in Greek. And yet the Lord Jesus said, he, Jesus said in verse 8, If I was thee not, thou hast no part with me. So you say, Peter, never, if you hold on to that, and you say, never, ever, there is no part in me. Then I have to let you go. You don't believe in me. Then you lose your salvation. Of course, that cannot be. But the Lord Jesus is yet threatening him. He said, he had to. He must be washed. And then you see Apostle Peter, right? Then he's showing you his heart. He that is washed needed not to save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Ye are clean, but not all. So Simon Peter said, and the Lord Jesus said, I have to wash you. He said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So he goes from one extreme to the other. Never also my hands and my feet. So what's going on in the heart of, of, of Peter? When he says that. When he says never. When he says, oh yes, do it. When he says never, it is his humbleness. He feels unworthy of it. He feels it so strange that such a holy one would wash his feet can be true. That it is not proper. It is irreverent. So he tries to stop the Lord Jesus in humility. And the Lord Jesus said, if I may paraphrase, what about humility? I don't care for you, your false humility. I want you to. I want to wash you. No matter what. It's my will to do that. Jesus saith he that is washed needed not to save for his feet, but is clean every whit. Is clean. See that? See how the Lord Jesus is making the application himself? Is clean. Has been washed. So the Lord Jesus himself explains that this washing of the feet is a spiritual thing. It's, it's a sermon. It's a parable. A parable in action. He rose. He acted. He washed. He washed the feet. And that pointed to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show that from the Bible. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. That this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, the Lord Jesus loves to the end. He is doing all the work. He's doing all the work himself. He, has, he, does, not, he does not need any help of anyone. 
And Christ poured water on the feet, but he did more. He also poured his own blood. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth from all sin. Do you like that? Do you like to hear that? The blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth from all sin. Every wit, every piece. There's not one stain, not one piece of dirt left. He has been cleansing the feet and cleansing his people. Cleaning them. Think of 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light, as sees in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from all sin. He is washing them. Also in Isaiah 1, verse 6, we read about this. We, 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 we read about the necessity of it. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. See? So the Lord Jesus is washing, drying, beginning, and ending, and do it freely, and without being encouraged to do it, he takes charge, and he also persists, and we see that the Apostle Peter also gives in, and he wants to be washed himself. Never. He said never. So he was for sure disobedient, was he? Wasn't he? What is your thought about that? When the Apostle Peter says, never wash my feet, do you have sympathy for that? Do you say, awful. Don't say that. Don't say that, Peter, never wash my feet. Maybe some say he was humble. I understand him. I kind of agree with him. I don't see any mistake there. I don't see any, anything wrong there. When he says, never, I can't let thee do that. Well, even if it is humility, it is disobedient Humility. Or think of someone of God's dear children. Sitting in church every Sunday. Sometimes eating and drinking from the food in the sermon. A dear child of the Lord. But never attended the Lord's Supper. And suppose I would ask her, why not? If you tell me how the Lord worked in your heart, and if you know that is the work of the Spirit, why are you not attending the Lord's Supper then? I don't get it. And she would say, I'm so unworthy of it. I can't see myself sitting there. It is impossible. I feel that it is mad. Well, is that not disobedience? Is that humble disobedience? It is wrong. So although the apostle Peter is humbled here, he should have obeyed. He should not have said never. In humility, he should have said yes, Lord. 
as he said a little later, right? Not only my feet, also my hands and my head. The seed of the thinking and of action. So let us be careful that we don't defend him. He is a humble man here, but humbly wrong. What they need is to be washed, to be cleansed. For this is my blood in the New Testament, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins. And the Apostle Peter kind of gives himself over to that, right? He says, not only my feet, also my hands and my head. He gives it all. He says, yes, Lord, I want to be washed and cleansed. Just go ahead, Lord. Wash my feet. Have you ever come to that place? That you first said, no, can be that way. And the Lord says, if you don't believe in me, there's no part of me. You said, Lord, I believe. How do I believe? You let him wash your feet. Has there ever come a time in your life that you let him wash your feet, so to speak? All this speaks about that special purchase. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. That's a picture there. It's a picture of the church being purchased by blood. And by that blood, that also purges the conscience. And God's people have the feeling of being guilty. It feels so much guilt in my heart. It feels heavy. So the Lord can take that feeling of guilt away and purge the conscience. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience? From dead works to serve the living God. Has your conscience be, pur- be, be purged? Did you see that peace, overwhelming peace, that is beyond comprehension? Oh, the Lord Jesus took his robe off. But he also has made the robe, the robe white in the blood of the Lamb. And I said, Sir, thou knowest, and he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. See? You know, this cleansing is free. This cleansing is real. This cleansing is effectual. Therefore, let the Lord Jesus wash you. Let him wash you. It is necessary that sin, that God's people, so again, again, come to him. Because his sins were forgiven already. Right? They were forgiven already. That's what it says. So why did he have to be washed again? Well, to purge that conscience. God's children don't only believe once, but they also, after having received opening and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they also yet need to have that confirmed. And so the Lord confirms it for his disciples. He washes them from all their sins. You're clean, but not all. So some of his, one of the disciples, Judas, was not clean. And Lord Jesus knew that. 
And he is expressing it as, as well. So that the disciples would not be too surprised and too shocked. Say, how can that be? Yet that can be. It can be that someone goes to the Lord's Supper table. And he's talking about those things. And there's a leak in the ship. And he is not safe. It's possible. The Lord knows that. So that is why we have to examine our own hearts as well. That we are not that one, right? You are all clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So we need to examine our heart. Brings to the last thought. We see the Lord Jesus going around the table, washing the feet of all his disciples. Also of the apostle Peter. And after he has, has done, in verse 12, we read, So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? So Lord Jesus exemplified the washing away of sin in the washing of the feet, and then he went around the table, but then he is sitting down again. He puts his garment on him. Was quite humbling now to take his garment off for them. This is garment on again. And now he is asking, Know ye what I have done to you? Do you also understand this? For many in modern theology, the Lord Jesus is not much more but an example. You need to follow him and to imitate him and to behave and to love one another because the Lord Jesus had, has given you an example of that. Well, it's not only an example. He saves his people. Let our religion not be just behaving, doing what's right and loving and following the path. But we need to be saved from the wrath of God. Having said that, the Lord Jesus also an example. Not only an example, but also an example. That's why we read in verse 17, If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. So sometimes people believe in the truth and they behave well and assume they're safe, but they don't do them. They don't love one another. They are keeping the grudge and they have a hard time forgiving. And there's tension. Christ is an example. Brethren, Galatians 6, verse 1, If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou so be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. So if the Lord Jesus, the Master, is loving his disciples in such a way that he humbles himself for them, then we also are to wash one another's feet, verse 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, he also ought to wash one another's feet. So you have to be kind and forgiving and cautious with others. For example, this means something for 
your merit, right? That you are gentle. That if you know something of that grace, if you then know that if I then your Lord then must have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. The feet of your wife. The feet of your husband. So not to play it hard, to be hard-nosed and fight to the core, but be cautious and humble and forgiving and washing the feet, so to speak. Not only marriage, also with your siblings, some there's rivalry among siblings, and young people can fight in the family. They cannot stand their brother, younger, older, and the sister. Oh, the Lord says, do you want to be washed and cleansed yourself? You need to be washed and cleansed yourself. Seek that salvation. And also keep this in mind, that if I wash your feet, you also need to wash the feet of one another. It is true in consistories. It's true in the church. It's true in, in the congregation. So we should have unity. We should bear one another's burdens. We should look around today and say, you know the people sitting by people? I am called to love them. I'm called to pay attention to them. I'm called to forgive them. I'm called to care for them. That's what the Bible says. And it's amazing how many times that theme is in the Bible. Let me just quote a few texts without mentioning where it is. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Oh, no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another has fulfilled the law. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not the right unto you. For yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Beloved, God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfect in us. See, I could go on. If you have a concordance, you look at it, love. And many texts about that. It's an important issue to the Lord Jesus that we must love one another. So why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? Because you're a pride, right? And yet, the Lord has commanded, if then your Lord and Master, verse 14, your Lord and Master, your is in italics, I think it's correct rendering. If ye then, people of the Lord, having a Lord and Master, if you didn't have washed your feet, you also are to wash one another's feet. So God's people are talked. God's people are addressed. And, and, and the Lord says to, his, to God's people, if you know me, you should act like me. Some may say this morning, but I don't belong to that people. 
Well, then it's very difficult to wash people's feet. It is difficult to budge. Difficult to be humble. Without grace. So you need to have that grace. You need to find that Lord Jesus for yourself. You need to find that faith in the Lord Jesus. That you let him wash your feet. That you give yourself over unto him. Because if you don't know what it is, it's hard to act as if you do. I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. As I have done to see his tongue to God's people. Verily, verily, amen, amen, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So the Lord Jesus is the one who is the Savior. And a servant is not greater than his Lord. If, if the Lord do it, a servant for sure need to do it. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. It is a happy people. It's a blessed people that doesn't only talk about those things, but also acts accordingly. They do them. Remember the parable of the house on the sand and the house on the rock? What does it mean? What is that? That building on the rock and building on the sand. What is the difference? You can read in Matthew 7. They that hear the word of God and do it, it says, they build on the rock. And they didn't hear it and don't do it. They build on the sand. So if you don't do it, if you don't practice it, then the storm, the storm will come, the winds will blow, and the fall of that house will be great. Because you don't only need to believe this, also do it. May the Lord bless. Amen.